That video, th my favorite part of that video is the little don't try this at home line. That, that one thing you shouldn't try at home, but the rest of that, go for it, you know. <laughs> we wanted to start this series showing you a ridiculously accurate archer. I mean, that guy's like the Avenger Hawkeye right there, right? And, and we wanted to kind of start this thing showing you a picture and then telling you that there is this enemy of God who's even a better shot than he is. And you already know that to be true because you've taken shots over the course of your life. Some of you, you've taken shot after shot after shot. You might actually feel like this guy in the cartoon, the far side, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. Do you feel like you're just walking around with that kind of a birthmark? And uh, I do want you to know that the enemy of God, he is not omniscient. We've talked about this before. But he is a study in humanity. And he has been watching you over the course of your life. And so, so there are some places in your life that he knows are easy targets for him to aim at and to shoot. And I do want you to know, we're just going to start this whole series with this recognition that uh, humans were actually kind of common in a few areas. Very unique. God's make it, made us unique masterpieces. But there are some ways in which, just as a whole, humans are, are a little bit common. We share a lot with one another. And this is one of those places that we all have some easy targets in our lives. So let's start with this. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, just the first part of the verse. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And we're going to unpack more of that verse today and more of the reality of this over the next three weeks. So please join us. This is going to be one of the most helpful series I know just in terms of how we personally deal with these areas in our lives that are easy targets. But what I want you to know is we need God to help us in this conversation. So we're just going to start by asking him to help us not only in this conversation, but do the work that he needs to do within us. We're just going to offer ourselves to him. So would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, we do recognize that when it comes to these areas in our lives, we all have them. And Lord, we all need your help with them. We know what it's like to be targeted. We know what it's like to, to, to be wounded. And so we ask that you would come, that you would bring your power, that you would just bring your love and your grace over us where we need it. And Jesus, we do ask that you would begin a, a good work of healing in our hearts. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, the first easy target that we're going to look at, and you can see this if you have your notes in front of you, it's our past wounds. And these past wounds are wounds that we sustained growing up at sensitive times in our lives from those we love, from those who love us, or at least who are supposed to love us. And these are wounds that we withdraw from, cover over, and pretend we don't have so that the wound never actually heals. And I want to begin by saying it is interesting to me that if we sustain external wounds, instantly that requires all of our attention. We stop doing what we're doing. If we're leaking blood all over the floor, we, we go and we tend the wound. We get the stitches. We take care of external wounds, right? They demand our attention. But internal wounds, we neglect and ignore. And what's interesting to me about that is it's the internal wounds that so often can be far more devastating. They can impact us and, and really alter the course of our life trajectory. And so it's really important for us to focus on this a little bit at the beginning of our Easy Target series. So the first wound, past wound, that we're going to look at is what we call the father wound or the mother wound. And these wounds are very devastating for a couple of reasons. The first is that God designed this parent role to give us an indication of what he himself is like. So understand then that if a wound comes in from father, mother, then suddenly it's distorted our view of what God is like. God designed this parent role so that we would understand what protection feels like. We would understand what provision feels like, that we would understand what infinite care feels like, that we would understand in a really healthy context what good authority looks like. All of these things are supposed to give us an indication of how our, our loving Heavenly Father is interacting with us. But the enemy comes in, creates a woundedness so that our view of God is distorted. And he's been doing this from the very beginning. I put a verse on your outline from Genesis chapter 3. And this is where in the garden he comes to Eve and he begins to suggest and distort things so that her view of what God is like becomes, it's, it's hazy and, and it's negative. And the enemy comes and he says, uh, where am I? One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not? And if you continue, eat from all of the trees in the garden, he's suggesting that God is not as good as God is, that God is not as caring as God is, God is not as providing as God really is, that he's just trying to get the, the woman to doubt the character of God and to, to think that God is withholding goodness from her. And that's what he does when he brings this father wound, mother wound into our lives. The second reason it's so powerful is because so much of how you define yourself, how I define myself, comes from the default systems that we see in our homes growing up, from mother, from father. And so, for example, if dad was physically or emotionally absent, then as you grow up and you have your own home, you're going to default. That'll be the default that you click into naturally. We call these generational cycles. Or you react against dad, right? And you go the complete opposite way. But what I want you to see is that you're sort of basing the role and you're defining who you are on the woundedness of dad. Same thing with mom, right? If, if, if mom was destructive or discouraging with her words, then you'll either fall right into that default 
or you'll completely fear conflict and truth-telling, and so you'll never do that. But either way, you're, you're sculpting a definition of who you are and your role based on a woundedness. And again, that's not God's best. And so as you explore some of the work around mother wounds and father wounds, what you're going to find is that there are many, many nuances to it. If you're looking for a great resource, John Eldridge has done a really good work called Waking the Dead, and I, I would recommend that to you. But a couple of things that you need to know about these father wounds, mother wounds. Some of you today, you're here, you have had to deal with physical, mental, or emotional abuse that was generationally handed to your parents and then has been generationally handed to you. And what I want you to say is that there is incredible power in the Lord for you to break that generational cycle. You don't have to fall right into that default. There is power for you to break that cycle so that your children do not have to experience the same woundedness that you had to. So that's the first piece of hope. The second nuance of this reality is that some of you, as I'm talking about this, your mind has already gone to a scene. You've already pictured that one day when it was as if your parents either emotionally or with their words, psychologically. It, just, it was a traumatic episode. And you can picture it as clear as you're watching a movie, where emotionally what it felt like is your parent pulled out a knife and stabbed you in the back with it. And you just feel it. You, can, you, you just sense it. It was so traumatic and so defined. And you know exactly what that is. I'm sorry about that, by the way. But for some of you, it's just the opposite. You cannot think of a single episode. You can't even think of two or three or four episodes. In fact, for you, it's what we call trauma by paper cut. It's that there, there were these little woundings pervasively throughout your childhood. And in fact, you would maybe even identify it more as an emotional tenor in your home. It was a mood that was set. For some of you, it was a tone that was always used when addressing you. You never even realized that that tone was dysfunctional until you got outside of the home. You realize, oh, not everybody talks like that to me. Right? So it, it, it could be a traumatic episode, one or two episodes, but it also could be something that was pervasive, kind of a mood or a tone set throughout. And the last nuance here is something, sometimes your parents wound you by things that they do and at other times, the wounding comes from something that they didn't do. So there was this, maybe a particular sensitive time in your life where you needed a word of affirmation, and they withheld it. There was a time when you were desperate for them to speak their love to you, and they failed to. Maybe there was a situation when you absolutely were desperate for their protection from somebody else's abuse in your life. You needed them to stand in the gap and to stand up for you, and they didn't do it. And so there's a wounding there. Sometimes it comes from what parents do. Sometimes it comes from what they don't do. And then I want to just be honest with you. I've thought this message through all week long and wrestled with this because I want to be authentic to present it in such a way that I am the son, and I'm thinking about my own parents and how they raised me. But I also have to be honest enough to step into the role as parent to my three children as well. And so I want to say this very clearly. Even if your parents had the best intentions possible, 
right? There are many times when unintentionally good parents end up wounding their kids. Does this make sense? And so I just want you to know that, that I love my kids. And I know what my motive is. God knows what my motive is as a dad to my children is that I want to be a great dad and I never want to wound them. But the truth of the matter is they will all be in therapy at one point or another. Okay? I mean, I was there when my bio kids were born. I caught my son right out of the chute. There was no instruction manual that came with. Right? And parents are just doing the best they know how to do. So many of us. We just want to be good parents, but maybe we make a mistake. We say the wrong thing. We, we don't show up when we're supposed to show up. Like, I get that. So even in the best of intentions, I'm not trying to get you to hate your dad or your mom today. I'm just trying to let you know, even if their hearts were really, really good, there are still woundings that can occur. Okay, so that's the father wound, the mother wound. The next thing we see in our past wounds, uh, what we identify as spiritual wounds. And spiritual wounds, some of you have been wounded by a church growing up, by a pastor growing up, maybe just somebody in your life, a relative, but for you, they represented the church. And so there was judgmentalism, or there was condemnation, or there was just some kind of manipulation. And, and our creative team got together, and in less than five minutes, we had like six or seven stories of somebody doing something, you know, as they were speaking for God or as a representative of the church and creating wounding. And maybe it was that somebody in your life, they spoke to you on behalf of God. And they said something like, God is telling you to marry this person. God is telling you to break up with this person. God is telling you to give that money. God is telling you to, to do this thing. And it wasn't like, hey, let me show you what the Bible says and why this would be a good idea for your life. Or, hey, let me talk to you about how this really brings more life to you. It was, it was uh, no, no, I'm speaking on behalf of God. You must do this or you're acting against God. And that's horrible. That kind of spiritual manipulation, it's just, it, it's, there's no argument for it, right? So you, you just, ah, I guess I have to... One of my buddies was telling a story that, that somewhere in his early childhood, his parents were under the teaching of a pastor. The pastor came over to their house and then said to them, there are demons hiding in your furniture. You need to take care of these demons. And so they pulled all the furniture out in the backyard, doused it with gasoline, and burned it. And my buddy grew up without a couch. Now, I just want you to know I have read this thing cover to cover many times, have yet to find the couch-dwelling demons, okay? <laughs> but that is a form of spiritual manipulation, right? There's a wounding there and a confusion there. And I just want you to understand all sorts of wacky and hurtful and bizarro things have been done in the name of Jesus throughout the years. And I want you to know who gets most agitated by that. Jesus does. Jesus gets most agitated. If you go through the New Testament and you read about the life of Jesus, there's really only one group of people that he gets really upset with. It's the Pharisees. It's the people speaking on behalf of God. It's the people putting all kinds of rules and regulations and traditions on followers of God, making the love of God inaccessible with all these requirements necessary so that someone could actually come and be a part of what God is up to in the world. And, and Jesus, he had a word for them 
And it was woe. Woe to you. Woe to you. Piling on all this burden, making God's love inaccessible. Woe to you, he says. He says, temptations will come, I know this, but woe to the person through whom they come. If you're going to stand and you're going to speak for God, if you're going to unveil what God's requirements are, you better be in a humble spot. You better make God's love accessible, right? This is what Jesus is coming with. So I just want you to understand, Jesus knows that when we encounter spiritual wounding as children, then when we grow up, we don't want to have anything to do with the church. And we're going to write even Jesus off and the love of God off because of what some spiritually manipulative person wounded us with in our youth. And this really upsets him. Okay, And if that's you, I, I really am sorry that you have been wounded. I do want you to know that if you read through the New Testament, you'll see that so much of what is written in the New Testament is about how not to wound our brothers and sisters and how to respond if we have been wounded and how we're to reconcile and make, make things right if we have wounded others. And I do want you to know at Overlake, we work intentionally about creating healthy environments for our children and our children's ministry, our students and our student ministry, our young adults. Even in this environment, we want to make sure that there's no manipulation going on. We, we do want to present the scripture. We want to give you all the evidence. Hey, this is what God's saying in his word. This is what it looks like. This is how I think the Holy Spirit's calling me to go or calling our church to go. But, but this is the deal. You stand uniquely before the Lord. Right? Jesus called people to follow him. That's the call. Follow him. Not me, not the church. Follow him. And so I, I just want you to understand that if you become a doctor, you have to sign a covenant. It's part of a vow. And the first part of that vow is do no harm. We believe pastors should also adhere to that vow. That at the very least, we do no harm. We inflict no damage. Right? We want to make sure you know God loves you. God has grace for you, that he's for you. Okay. So these spiritual wounds, these mother-father wounds, these past wounds we have, if we don't deal with them, what happens is basically we just cover them up. We just pretend they're not there, that we're over it. It would be the equivalent of somebody shooting you in the femur and you just packing a little dirt on it, putting a leaf on it, wrapping an oily garage rag around it, say, I'm good. <laughs> and you're wondering why you're limping along years later, and you, you've still got the gash and the bullet, and, and you've still got the, you know, and nothing has been healed, okay? And I want you to understand that in that kind of a context, the wound does not heal, it remains a wound. It remains sensitive. There's still a bruise there. And so what does the enemy do? He's already wounded you. Now he hammers the bruise, right? Now he comes and he just wants to hit it again and again and again and trip you up again and again and again around the same place. Uh, many of you have seen this movie, The Karate Kid. It's actually the greatest movie ever made in the greatest decade of movies ever to, to, to grace cinema history. The Karate Kid, Daniel, is in the last scene fighting for the championship. And he's fighting Johnny of the Cobra Kai, right? You know what I'm talking about, the bad guy, black uniform. Finish him, right? <laughs> and what 
is the advice that Johnny gets. Well, he's already dislocated Daniel's knee. And so Daniel's knee is just hanging limp. He's nothing. He can't do anything with it. And what does his instructor tell him to do? Sweep the leg, Johnny. That's right. Amen. God bless you. I hear that. <laughs> Amen. So the idea is that's exactly what the enemy does. He knows where you're wounded. So what is it? He's sweeping the leg. Right? Put him in a body bag. Ah, like, that's how the, the... And then, of course, you know, Daniel rises above. It's over, right? <laughs> but I, I just want you to see that as a strategy of the enemy. First, I'm going to shoot you with the easy target. Then the wound lingers. So what am I going to do? I'm going to hammer the wound. And this is to make us uncomfortable, distraught. This is... It's calculated so that we will withdraw from healthy fellowship with one another, and we will withdraw from God. And there are two things that he desires greatly in your life. The first one, if you're filling in the blank, is discouragement. He wants you down. He wants you discouraged. He wants you quiet, moping. He wants, he wants to steal joy and life from your, from, from your existence. And so this is how he's going to do it. He's going to keep hammering the wound. And you might not even realize why you're down. Ah, it must be the weather. Ah, it must be my job is boring. It must be this relationship's not as, as, as spicy as it used to be. What, what, my friendships aren't as sad as... Like, you, you might not even know why, but discouragement's hanging around you. And Scripture talks about that. The verse on your outlines from Psalms, it says this, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I'll praise him again, my Savior and my God. And what I want you to see about that is, is the psalmist, there's not even an indication of why. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I, I, what I'll do, I guess I'll just turn to praise, but I, I don't know why. And then I want you to look. This is Psalm 42.5 and Psalm 42.11. And Psalm 43, 5. And it comes up again and again and again as a refrain. Why am I so down? This is what the enemy wants. He wants to hammer the wound again and again. And he wants us to get down and discouraged. Because what is he doing when he's hammering the wound? He's speaking his lies to us about why we were wounded in the first place. And if he can get us to believe those lies, we will be wrapped in gloom. If you're wounded because your mom didn't want you, he's going to speak lies. I guess nobody wants me. And if he can get you to believe that and agree with it, you'll be discouraged. Your dad is distant and unpleasable. And he will speak his lies into you that that's how God is, distant and unpleasable. And if he can get you to agree with him, you'll be wrapped in discouragement. So I want you to understand what's going on behind the scenes here. You don't know why you're discouraged. You don't know why you're sad. Maybe there's a wound that's getting punched, okay? Or the second product of our wounds is that we end up thinking that all we need to do is try a little harder, 
All we need to do is, is just do a little better. All we have to accomplish is just a little more. And it's kind of a pull myself up by the bootstraps mentality. And so we, we try to go after that. And we work really hard. And we expend a lot of energy toward this. And some of us can even accomplish a lot of great things with this philosophy. But it's interesting what happens is if you end up failing yourself, if you end up falling short of your own standards and ideals, or if somebody stands in the way of you accomplishing what you need to accomplish, there's something that happens. It's called anger. And that's the second fruit that the enemy wants to produce in your life, anger. And it's the kind of anger. It's like this explosive sudden. It goes from 0 to 10 in a second kind of anger. That's what the enemy is trying to accomplish. There's this old saying, many of you might know this, crisis doesn't make your character, crisis reveals your character. How many of you are familiar with that saying? A lot of us. I just want you to know, I, I hate that saying. <laughs> it makes me angry <laughs> because, because I don't even think we need crisis to reveal our anger. I think all we need to reveal anger is being in a hurry and then stuck behind a car sitting at a stoplight when the light turns green and the guy's looking at his phone, playing a little Angry Birds or something, and, and, you're, and you're like, it's green. It's been green. The pole's turning green. We live in the evergreen state. Go already, right? And you're, in, whoop, you're up to 10. You don't even know why. You don't need a crisis to reveal this, right? It could be you standing on the sideline at your kid's sporting event, and the referee refuses to call a fair game. Any fouls on the other side. And you're sitting there going, oh, Raph, it's getting a little violent out there. <laughs> it's going to get a little violent over here. And then some parent on the other team's talking off, you know, popping off about how it's your team that's making all the fouls. And you're like, am I taking crazy pills right now? And you're like, whoa, you're up to 10. I'm speaking totally hypothetically on both of these. And I just, I want you to see this, this idea of just wham, you don't even know, you weren't even, look, you were having a great day, but all of a sudden something happens, a trigger, and boom, that's an indication that there is a wound that is being hammered, okay? There's something going on under the scene. And, and I do want you to know, the Bible never forbids us being angry, it's true. But the Bible, there, there are some... Be honest. There, there are some times that we're angry, and we have no right to be angry. God actually confronts Jonah. He says, do you have any right to be angry? Jonah had a bad perspective. God was trying to correct it. So there's sometimes we have bad perspectives. We don't have any right to be angry. But beside that, the Bible never forbids our anger. It's part of being human. It's part of the emotional spectrum of just being a human. So I, I want you to see this. What the Bible does say, however, is in your anger, steward yourself well. So the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he actually quotes Psalm 4.4. He says this, or the Psalm 4.4 says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. I love that verse. Because what it says is, so often in your life, the thing that you're angry about, think about it for a day and then say nothing. It's not that big of a deal. I love what James says, James chapter 1. It says this, don't get worked up into a rage so easily, my brothers and sisters. Human anger is a futile exercise that will never produce God's kind of justice in the world. In other words, 
Don't just say whatever you feel like saying in your sudden and blind rage. It's not good policy. Don't act on your worst instincts based on your easy targets born from your past wounds. Because when you go from zero to, to 10 in an instant, you say things and you do things. You, you lash out at a spouse or you snap at a child and you blow up on the sideline or you lay on the horn and, and it, it, you do, and then after it's over, when the anger's spent, you feel ridiculous. You feel silly. You feel flat, deflated like footballs in New England, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's probably a whole other sermon, by the way. <laughs> but I want you to see these, these, these temptations, these easy targets, these reactions, they're, they're somewhat common. Right? They may not be specific to you, but I just want you to know, these are, generally speaking, these are common to all of us in the human race. And so this is what the scripture says. Not only, not only should that be a little bit disheartening and that they're common and all of us wrestle, but, but the solution is, is really hope-inducing, right? Because they're common, God can actually help us and meet us in them. So uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, these temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. You might just want to circle that, underline it, highlight that in your scriptures. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. He's not going to cast you adrift. He's not going to leave you alone to fight this battle by yourself. We need to remember that our woundedness is not what defines us. Our, our, our temptation is not what defines us. Our easy target is not what defines us. What defines us is that we are sons and daughters of a heavenly father. Ephesians 2.10 talks about you as an original masterpiece of God, that he loves you. And the Bible has this phraseology. It says, you are created a new in Christ. What that means is that you are, you're being formed in Jesus, and Jesus is being formed in you. And that's who you are. That's your identity. Not your wounds, and not your targets, and not your temptations. It's your position with God. Okay? You're a son, you're a daughter. And for us, the best defense is a good offense. And so what we need to focus on is the bullseye for dealing with our past wounds. And the bullseye for dealing with past wounds is healing. Specifically, it's the healing that Jesus offers us. And I'm going to go through four steps. And I want you to realize that obviously God can work any way possible. God brings healing all sorts of ways. But over 25 years of ministry, these are four steps that I have seen helpful no matter what, okay? These steps have been universally helpful, and so I offer them to you today as a way to focus on healing in your life from past wounds. The first is that we have to begin by acknowledging the wound. We have to begin by recognizing that we're wounded, where we're wounded, how we're wounded, who wounded us. The first question 
that you're going to be asked when you go to see a doctor is where does it hurt? And it's simply a way of identifying what is the issue that needs healing. And this is true for us spiritually as well. We have to acknowledge the woundedness, and then we have to acknowledge some of the beliefs that we have agreed to regarding our woundedness. So we've made agreements with lies, lies like, well, I guess God doesn't love me. I guess I'm unlovable. I'm going to be let down in this life. That's all I can expect. I'm on my own. I guess I am the only one who will take care of me. I'm always going to be this way. I'll never change. I can't trust anybody. These kinds of statements are lies whispered by the enemy that we make agreements with. And I want you to understand, we have to agree with the lie that we have believed in order to break it. You have to recognize where it is that you've agreed with a lie in order to replace that lie with the truth. And so we have to begin by acknowledging our woundedness and the lies that we have agreed to. Number two, begin to walk the road of forgiveness. Begin to walk the road of forgiveness. What this means is we let people off our hook. We release them instead to Jesus. We choose not to hold our parents accountable to us for the wounds that they've caused, the the paper cuts, whatever it was. We just recognize that we have released them to God for our sake. And it might look something like this if you're looking for a prayer. It might might be a prayer like this. I'm going to choose to forgive. This is going to be an act of my will. Maybe you're not emotionally there, but, but it's simply a choice you're going to make. As I have been forgiven by Jesus, I'm going to choose to forgive. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And so there's this, because we've been forgiven, now we offer this kindness and forgiveness to one another. And I do intentionally use the phrase, begin to walk the road. Because some of you, you're one step, two steps away. You're, you're actually ready to forgive. You know you've been carrying a heavy burden of unforgiveness. And you're ready to lay that down. But for others of you, I imagine in a room this size, you're, you're like, Pastor, you don't know how I was wounded. You don't know how often I was wounded. You don't know how far from forgiveness I feel right now for that person. And, and you're right, I don't. I, I am so sorry for your wounding, by the way. So I would just encourage you to begin to walk the road. Understand that when God calls you to forgive, he calls you to forgive for your sake. He's thinking about you. He's thinking about the burden that you're carrying. It's not only that you've been wounded, now you're carrying this burden of unforgiveness. You're requiring some person to pay some pound of flesh that they may or may not ever be willing or ready or able to pay. And, and that is a burden. And so you're, you're carrying that burden. And God says, be free from that. Lay it down. Let, let me take that scenario. Forgiveness, by the way, it's not future trust. Forgiveness is something that happens for things that have already occurred. Future trust is another discussion. We can talk about that later. So I, just, I would encourage you, just begin to walk the road. And in order to get some assistance and some help to continue to walk that road, my next encouragement is that you would trust, talk to, rather, a trusted or wise source in your life. 
that there would be somebody in your life that you would pursue and initiate a conversation with specifically around woundedness and the lies that you've agreed to regarding that woundedness and walking the road of forgiveness. It has to be intentional on your part that you would seek a trusted and a wise source, some kind of a counsel in your life. And the scripture is really clear on this. Look at, look at this. It says in James 5, confess your sins to each other. Have that trusted and wise source that you can be honest and process with. And pray for each other so that you may be, what's that last word? Healed. Right? Circle it. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about bullseye with healing. And so if we want to be healed, we need to walk this road of confession and praying for one another so that we can experience the healing that God has. And two great resources here at Overlake are the biblical counseling that we offer and Celebrate Recovery that meets on Tuesday nights and with support groups. And I, I do want to encourage you to take advantage of those two avenues. We honestly, so many thousands of folks have benefited. And it's free biblical counseling and celebrate recovery. It's a, it's a ministry. You know, it's offered to you. So please take us up. We believe in counsel. We believe in pursuing a trusted source. In fact, many of you might remember last fall, our staff, our church went through a really traumatic season in the space of maybe three weeks there were these incredible tragedies that came against some of you and, and, and kind of rocked our church staff. And we were processing grief, a lot of confusion in that season. And so we actually invited in a trusted and wise source, a counselor that we had incredible respect for, but simply for the process so that we could have honest and open, authentic conversation and receive some good counsel about how we could continue to walk the road of our healing. So I would encourage you in that. Again, biblical counseling and celebrate recovery. It could also be your life coach, your life group leader, your best friend. But the, the key truth here is that it's intentional conversation about your woundedness, about forgiveness. And the last truth, number four, ask Jesus to bring his supernatural healing into your brokenness. This is by far the most powerful. This isn't the most powerful. This, I hope this begins for all of us today. But Jesus is our wounded healer. In fact, the Bible actually says that. It says, he will be wounded so that we will be healed. And every way we have experienced wounding, we have experienced betrayal, we have experienced, we've experienced trauma at the hands of those that should have loved us, that said they loved us, that that was the position they were in of friend and counselor and parent. And, and yet they were the ones who wounded us. And Jesus says, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be denied in a moment of need by one that said he loved you. I know what it's like to be betrayed unto death by one who said he was Yours. I know what it's like to have everyone abandon you. I know what these wounds feel like. And Jesus is the one who can bring healing. And there's this word in the New Testament. It's a Greek word. And the word is sozo, S-O-Z-O, sozo. Often when you read through the New Testament, the word is translated salvation or saved. And certainly that's true. When somebody comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they are saved. They are sozoed. That's very true and accurate. But the word also has two other definitions. When someone is freed of demonic harassment, 
Jesus cast demons out of a person, say, the scripture says, then that person is sozoed. They are delivered. They're no longer being harassed or demonized. And the third definition is the word healed. So when Jesus would would take a a, a blind person and he would walk through the, the process of recovery of sight, then the scripture would say that person has been sozoed. They've been healed. Their sight has been restored. Someone who could not walk, right? The, the wounding was so great that they, they, their functionality, they could not walk. And yet Jesus would touch them. They would stand up, grab their mat. They would walk. The Bible says they've been sozoed. And so I want you to understand that we have a ministry at Overlake. It's the sozo ministry. And this, this ministry, it's really intentional. What it requires is just the willingness to go through some guided prayer. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and kind of lead you into these places in your past where there have been wounding. And then you invite supernaturally the power of Jesus to come and bring healing. It starts with forgiveness. So I mean, this really is, the whole thing kind of hinges on whether or not we're ready to take the step of forgiveness. But I want to encourage you, if you think that's something that that would be helpful for you, please let us know. There's one of the action items talks about the Sozo ministry. We've had so many go through Sozo sessions, and the overwhelming majority have said things like, it was, it was transformative. I experienced the power and the presence of Jesus in a unique way in that context. So again, I, I want you to say, these things, these four steps, acknowledging your woundedness and the lies you believed, that you, that you would begin to to open up and talk to a trusted source, that, that you would invite the spirit of God and you'd invite the healing of Jesus. These things, you will not go wrong walking these steps. They will open up an opportunity for you to experience the healing that Jesus has over your past wounds. So what I wanna do is I wanna invite you to pray with me right now. So go ahead and, and bow your heads and close your eyes. And I simply wanna say, Jesus is with you. He loves you. He is for you. You are not alone fighting temptation today. You are not alone in trying to heal yourself today. Your identity is not found in your past wounding. Your identity is not found in your easy target. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. He is yours. You are his. And you don't have to live as an easy target anymore. So Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would come, that you would bring your supernatural healing into these deep areas of our lives. Maybe for some of us, we've not even thought about these these things for years. Maybe we've pretended for many years that we're not wounded, we're fine, we're okay. But Jesus, you know, you, you wanna bring deep healing. You wanna bring a freedom for us to live whole and healthy, to experience the fullness of life. So we ask you, come, Lord. Come, help us acknowledge our wounding. Help us be bold and and courageous enough to talk to a trusted source. Help us to renounce any lies that we have agreed with the enemy about. And Jesus, come and bring your healing. Release it at Overlay Christian Church. Release it in all of our families. Release it in our relationships. Lord, release it in our relationship with our parents. Release it in our relationship with our children. We love you, Lord, and we pray all these things knowing that you are here, that you listen to our prayer, and that you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen.